Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. One biblical counselor and pastor said, and I quote, over 90%, over 90% of all Christian counseling is with single people wishing they were married and married people wishing they were single. Marriage and singleness are divine gifts and therefore potential idols. Anything that God has made good, the flesh can pervert, twist. Idols make unhappy people. Idols make poor gods. Neither gift, marriage, singleness can satisfy the soul. Now, God's Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament mandate, the creation mandate, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, that required marriage. The creation mandate requires marriage. And in the Old Testament, when you read the Hebrew Scriptures, you, you learn of singleness and barrenness, the inability to have children. They're viewed as a curse. They're viewed as a curse. But then you reach Isaiah 53. It's interesting. You wouldn't really think of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, as a major turning point in the Old Testament's view of singleness or how the Old Testament speaks of singleness. But Isaiah 53 foresees the sin-bearing king will come Who, Isaiah says, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? Speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus Christ. Who even thought, who imagined that he would be cut off from the land of the living? Now, to the modern ear, that just sounds like he dies. But to the Hebrew ear, it's much more significant. To be cut off from the land of the living means that he dies single and childless. There's no one to carry on his name, not even a wife who could then marry his brother and continue his name in the bearing of children. There's no option. He's cut off from the land of the living. The Messiah is going to die unmarried and childless. Watch this. But he will see his seed his offspring dies single, dies childless, yet he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days. Somehow in his death, when he's crushed by Yahweh for the sins of his people, he begets a people. It's incredible. The single Savior is going to beget children of God. Isaiah foresaw that the single Savior will change everything at Calvary. 
Listen to Isaiah 54. Shout for joy. This is the next chapter. All of a sudden, everything changes. Listen to this. After the single suffering Savior begets children for God in his death, it says, shout for joy, Isaiah 54. Shout for joy, O barren woman. A woman who cannot bear children, who has not given birth. Break forth, spontaneously, break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor for More numerous are the sons of the desolate one than the sons of the married woman, says Yahweh. So we see that marriage originally in the creation mandate, marriage is an advantage to make babies, certainly. And that's good. Babies are good. Marriage is good. Singleness, it seems, that Isaiah foresaw, and the New Testament expands, singleness can be a tremendous advantage for making disciples, for making spiritual children of God. You fast forward a little bit further, Isaiah 56. This is all in very close proximity in Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 56 says, Let not the eunuch, the eunuch is the lifelong celibate person, They're incapable of having children physically. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. I'm not going to bear any fruit. I'm not going to have any kids. Let them not say that. For thus says Yahweh to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant to them. I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name, which will not be cut off. A little bit of Bible trivia. Can you guess where in the Bible the Ethiopian eunuch was reading when he met Philip in Acts 8? Isaiah 53, 54, 56. He's reading in that zone. How can the single Savior die and then make people like me have a name that can't be cut off, better than sons and daughters. How can this be? You see, our desires, our even relationship desires, are designed by God to display the sufficiency of Christ, whether that be your marital status as married or single. We were, every one of us, every person who's ever lived, married or single, was saved by a single man. And his apostle, also a single man, now writes us. First point, stay right where you are. Stay right where you are. Be content. Be content. Go with God. Stay with God where you are. Chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. I'm going to zoom through this section because the point is very plain. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. What has God assigned to you for today? How did God call you to salvation? In what state? What marital state? What life circumstances? And so, Paul says, this is what I direct in all the churches. Now notice this. Paul is not saying, now this is a very specific thing for you Christians in Corinth, okay? He says, this is what I say everywhere. This is not circumstantial. How were you when Christ saved you? Look at verse 18. 
Was any man called when he was already circumcised? That's a Jew or a Gentile convert to Judaism. What does Paul say? He is not to become uncircumcised. I know that's probably a question wandering around in your minds, but don't worry about it too much. We'll talk about the science later if you're curious. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? That means that they were a Gentile. He is not to be circumcised. You don't have to get circumcised to be a Christian. Circumcision, Paul says, is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. It doesn't matter. But what matters, he says, is the keeping of the commandments of God. How important is your ethnicity? How important is your race when it comes to the gospel? Nothing. No importance. We're all on equal playing field when it comes to the gospel. Now, what does God say matters? Obey me. Obey me. I don't care what ethnicity you are, if you're Jew, Gentile, whatever it is that you are. Obey me. Verses 20 to 21, each man... Each person, everyone, no exceptions, must remain in that condition in which he was called. How you were saved. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. Can you believe that he just said that? There have been slaves that have been saved by the grace of God. And Paul says, now slaves, listen up. You want to know what you do? This is what you want. This is what you do. And every slave's thinking, okay, we're going to fight for our freedom. He says, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. What? Paul, are you kidding me? Now, if you were a slave at that time, how important would your freedom be to you? It'd be significant, wouldn't it? What does God say? Be a slave with the Lord. Now, that's not all he has to say about it, verses 21 to 23. But, if you are able also to become free, rather do that. <laughs> it's pretty simple, right? If the Lord opens an opportunity for you to be free, yeah, do it. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. You see, this world is putting a big fuss up about our race, our ethnicity, our identities in a variety of ways, oppression, oppressors and oppressed and all this, and the gospel smashes all of that. and says, how were you when Christ saved you? That's why he saved you right there. Stay there unless he changes your situation. Don't make it your life's pursuit to change your life circumstances. And he uses life circumstances way more significant than marital status. Way more fundamental than marital status. I can't change my ethnicity. I mean, it's not in my power to become free if I'm a slave. So he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. You can get married or, or, or stay single. That's, that's easier I'm telling you, just stay right where you are if you can help it. If God provides a way out of that, if, if he changes it, great. But you seek his kingdom and his righteousness. He's readjusting our priorities. He's directing our aim. Paul, by the Spirit of God, is wanting us to be focused on the Lord. Brothers, verse 24, each one is to remain, watch this, with God. In that condition in which he was called. 
Do you want to be with God? God is right there where you were called. He's right there with you right now. Stop trying to change your life. Stop trying to transform your own life. Brothers and sisters, listen. I speak to you as a fellow single man who wants to get married. I I can't emphasize that enough. But I have not made it my life's aim to get married. And if the Lord wishes to provide that, he'll do just fine. And I know that you might be sitting there thinking, Sam, you're 35 years old. If you don't get on with it, it ain't going to happen. And I'd say I I beg to differ. I think the Lord has a fine way of providing. And I trust him to do that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was written about being content in any circumstances, whether single and uncomfortable with it, or married and uncomfortable with that. Second point, singleness is good. I want to keep the points simple, because I think Paul keeps them simple. Verses 25 to 28. Now, concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord... But I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. You remember what Paul's saying there is I've got no quotation from Jesus Christ. I can't quote him red letters and say, remember what Jesus said? I'm speaking, however, under the inspiration of the Spirit. And what I'm saying is no less true than what Jesus said. By the way, if you want a little help with that, look at the last verse of the chapter. He says, I'm speaking by the Spirit. He's speaking the truth. He's not giving an opinion that you can give or take. This is the word of God. He just doesn't have a quote from Jesus. Verse 25. But Paul's judgment is trustworthy word of God. Now listen to verse 26 and 27. I think then that this is good. Because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? It's kind of a graphic way of saying, are you married? Are you bound to a wife? Sadly, some husbands feel that way. He says, do not seek to be released. Don't seek divorce. That's not what I'm saying. But are you released from a wife? Are you single? Don't seek a wife. Do not seek a wife. Now, does that say that marriage is sin? Absolutely not. He's going to address that. It's far from sin. It's a very good gift from God. But he's saying, do not make your life about the pursuit of that primarily. Now, what is this present distress? He says there's the present distress. The distress, a a distress, I should say, is a pinching circumstance. And he says that it's about to happen. Okay? So it's a pending distress. Now, the definite article, the word the, means that it requires no explanation. They would hear, what he's, he, when he says the present distress, they would know what he's talking about. Well, what could that possibly be? Verses 29 and 31 says that the time has been shortened. Watch this. The form of this world is passing away. It's dying. The world that we know is dying. Every wedding is conducted on a sinking Titanic. You know, you guys are looking at social media 
ladies, you're probably spending some amount of time looking at brides' dresses or looking at beautiful wedding photography. And I want you to imagine from now on, every one of those pictures on the bow of the Titanic as it's going nose up, sinking in the ocean, okay? Because that's the way that this world as it is right now, that's the way the scriptures talk about this world, this present age. It's dying. Why would you invest primarily here? Jesus says that a great distress would affect the families of Jerusalem in Luke 21, verse 23. And Paul, however, is writing to Christians in Corinth, far from Jerusalem, most of them Gentiles. But Jesus already had said, long before Paul wrote this in Luke 21, there will be anguish among nations, not just Jerusalem, not just Israel. Anguish among nations in perplexity, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. What has Jesus said? What is Paul talking about? Jesus Christ, the King, the Messiah, God in flesh has come and he's coming back and we live between his two comings. Everything changes. History has been completely upended. We live in a strange time. And the sad thing is, is that we Christians, having lived 2,000 years after Jesus' first coming, and not knowing when his second coming is going to occur, we've grown quite apathetic. And we've started to live as if this is it. Let's just make as good of a life as we possibly can now. He's not coming soon. And this word says, do you not realize that you live in the present distress? You live in the tension of two comings. Make your decisions based on that. The king's return revolutionizes even our relationships. Now, before Jesus came, whoever worried that marriage is a sin? No one ever worried about that. Look at verses 28 and 36. He says, but if you marry, listen to the way that Pastoral Paul is writing to these Corinthians. Listen, listen, in all that I'm saying, if you marry, you haven't sinned. Who had to be told that before Jesus came? And all of a sudden, everything's changed. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Listen, you're not saying, I'm not saying that if you get married, you're sinning. No, that's not what I want you to think. Hebrews 9, 28, Christ will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly wait for him. Here's a great way to define what a Christian is. It's someone who's eagerly waiting for Christ to return. That's a very safe definition that you should use. Am I a Christian? Well, am I eagerly awaiting for the king to come? Use that as your definition. It'll bless your soul or it'll convict you to repentance. Timothy 4 says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to all 
who have loved his appearing, and that means his return. Are you one who loves his return? Or are you living as a worldling? Every tick of the clock shouts, the king is coming. The king is coming. Today, today, today is short. Does Paul describe a temporary situation in Corinth? I don't think so. And the reason is verse 29. He says, so that, listen, from now on, indefinitely, from now on, singleness is really good. Verse 27, married folks, stay married. Singles don't live for marriage. Don't make that the pinnacle of Christian life. It will disappoint you. Seek the king. Verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not, you've done nothing wrong. You've not sinned. Thirdly, singleness can spare you troubles in a fading world. Singleness can spare you troubles in a fading world. Verses 28 to 31. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. He's helping us. Singleness can spare you some squeezing restrictions or pressures on your use of focus, time, money, and energy. It can, if you view it properly, the way God views it. Verse 29. But, this I say, brothers, the time has been shortened. We live every second between the the king's two comings. The time is short. Listen, brothers and sisters, I want to stand before him and say that I used my singleness well. By his grace, I think generally speaking, I'll be able to, to say that. Not perfectly, but rightly. And I want the same for you. And you're going to wish you had the second he gives you the gift of marriage. And more importantly, the second he returns. Jesus said in Luke 20, those who are considered worthy, listen to this, this is just fascinating stuff. These are, these are the kind of things that you forget Jesus said. Those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection of the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and sons of God being sons of the resurrection. There's not going to be marriage after the resurrection at least not between one another, marriage is momentary. It's temporary. Verse 29, so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. What? So I'm looking at Scott here. I see Stan. I see Mike. We got any other married guys in here? Josh. Okay, if, if, don't feel her. Oh, Tolly, there we go. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking. I'm trying to diligently look. They are to live as if they do not have wives. In some way. 
That means something. Doesn't mean that they ignore their wives or mistreat their wives or divorce their wives. It reminds me at the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress when worldly wisdom, bad guy by the way, in Pilgrim's Progress, worldly wisdom comes up to Christian. And he says, Hast thou a wife and children? You see, he's trying to turn his heart back to the city of destruction. And Christian replies, Yes, but I cannot take that pleasure in them as I formerly did. Methinks I am as if I had none. Christ is so important that methinks as if I, I, I've got nothing except him. Charles Spurgeon says, Time is short, and wife and children, listen, are dying creatures. The worldly man laughs at us. He believes that if there be anything permanent in the universe, it is marrying and being given in marriage, educating and bringing up a family. Here we go. He is right, Spurgeon says, he is right in valuing the blessing, but wrong in making it his all. That's what Paul is teaching us. The king's return and his greater wedding feast are closer now than when I began to preach. We forget that. It's not stagnant, it's not stoic, it's not, it's not out there just, just, just waiting and we're not, never arriving. No, every second it's getting closer. The day is etched. There is day, there is year, there is second, and it's fast approaching. How then shall we live? Verses 30 to 31. And those who cry as though they did not cry. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is dying. It's passing away. What are you doing accumulating for yourselves? Even the sweetest creations of God as if this is all there is. Are we living for a world up in flames or are we living for the imperishable world to come? That's a simple question. You know that you can be a worldly missionary. You could be out there on the mission field suffering a great deal for Christ and yet be completely in the world and not alive in God at all. 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says of his fellow missionary, Demas, having loved this present age, has deserted me. My friends, I'm telling you, we preach the word of God here so that you know you are saved or you know you are not. May you know it tonight. John says in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world nor the things in the world and any one of God's gifts can be an idol. Even the best of them. Any one of them. I've forgotten which number this is. I think fourthly, singleness can free you from anxieties, verses 32 to 34. But I want you to be free from concern. Paul loves the Sermon on the Mount. Paul has used it before, better to marry than to burn. And he's using it here again. You remember Jesus forbids that we be anxious about anything in life, clothing, food, If anxiety, if worry, 
of concern cannot add a single hour to my lifespan, why worry about anything? That's Jesus' argument in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that anxieties are bad soil, that they choke out the word of God. In Matthew 16, he says the anxieties of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. My friends, listen, has your desire for marriage been so strong that it's choking out the word of God and its fruitfulness in your life? Are you so longing for things that God has not given you today that it's absolutely slaying your appetite to live for Him in this moment? You must ask honestly. Philippians 4.6 Do not be anxious about anything. Are you anxious about getting married? And I mean that in a way of are you anxious to be married? You want to be married. Are you anxious whether God will provide or not? Do not be anxious about anything. Oh, except marriage. Did he, did he give that exception? No. He didn't. One scholar wrote, Trust in God relativizes all other concerns. It does not detach us from concerns. It relativizes them. It puts them in their place. Listen, this room is mostly occupied by singles. So I say to you, single men and women, do not coddle discontentment in your singleness. And I say to the marrieds in this room who are here to serve you and to love you, do not coddle discontentment in their singleness. Don't say, oh, I know. That doesn't help. They need to hear, hey, seek the Lord. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And the Lord will provide what he wills. Verses 32 to 34. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests have been divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I want to ask you a question Have you developed godly anxiety? Have you developed godly anxiety? A burning passion, a burning desire to please the Lord. Is that your distraction? Is that your preoccupation? John Bunyan says this is a soul-sequestering desire. A famous desire. None have this desire except a righteous man. To please the Lord. Now, married saints love pleasing the Lord. Look at We have several in this room. They love to please the Lord. But they cannot give themselves to the things of the Lord alone without compromising what God has commanded them for their marriage. You can. 
Why aren't you? Give yourself to the Lord. Married people must balance, they must multitask their marriage and their ministry. You don't have to. Are you going to waste this precious real estate in your life and then get married and look back on it and think, I really squandered that. Knowing God was going to bring this joy all along, I really wasted those years. Don't waste your singleness. Wishing it away. Single ladies. All the single ladies. Verse 34. Become anxious. I'll say it again. Become anxious about the things of the Lord. Make it your obsession. Make it your morning and evening concern. How to be holy in body and spirit. That means entirely. How do I I become godly inside and out? I want it to be in my heart. I want it to show in the way that I present myself to the world. And single men, I ask you a question. Would we say, gentlemen, that our preoccupation is to be godly? To be holy. To be devoted to God in love. Because singleness is freedom to be so. And we're wishing it away. Fifthly, or whatever, singleness can secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 35, now I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote propriety and undistracted devotion to the Lord. If you love Christ and believe what has been said in this chapter, It helps you. It helps you seek him. It helps you serve your king unhindered and unchained. Churches, I remember when I first moved through this text, I was driving and providentially I drove by a church, I don't remember which one it was, But they had a sign and they said, we are all about families. And all of us would go, aww. There's nothing inherently bad about that, except that's not what we're all about. We're all about Christ. And when we're all about Christ, we deal rightly. We love our families best. But we're not all about families. We're all about Jesus. We're all about him, and we cannot serve two masters. Jesus tells these men in this room how to lead their families. But if they're obsessed with their families, I'll tell you this right now, they'll live to please men and not God. They'll live to make their wife happy instead of God. They'll live to make their kids happy instead of God, and their families will be destroyed. We've seen it happen. We are about one thing. And it cannot be Christ and family. It must be Christ alone. And all things get set under that, under him. Godly singleness, being very technical here, godly singleness brings about peace in the church. When our godly singles are devoted to the Lord, 
in their private lives and devoted to serving the Lord in the family of the church, this church sings in harmony. But when singles are not seeking the Lord, guess what this church is filled with? A bunch of griping, whining, discontent mopers. And it sucks energy from the rest of the church. Instead of breeds energy into the church. Use your precious single years for Christ and this church. And this church will thrive. And you will thrive. Idolizing marriage just makes a bunch of busybodies and nosy people. Here's an interesting thought, okay? And this is just to exaggerate a point. I'm not actually suggesting we do this. It would be ridiculous. But why not celebrate singleness, faithful singleness by the decade, like you do anniversaries in marriage? Why not celebrate, man, that gal, she's been single for 40 years, faithful, praise God. What an anniversary. Why don't we? It's interesting. It shows us something about our values, doesn't it? Praise God for anniversaries. We want to celebrate them. But why don't we celebrate singleness like we celebrate marriage? If it's faithful. Pastor Steve DeWitt, real guy, didn't make up the name, prayed diligently for a bride every Thursday for 26 years. That's, to my calculation, 1,352 specific times. Yet, God did not provide a wife until he was 44. That's nearly 10 years older than me. So who am I to complain? Everyone told him, everyone was telling him, you have the gift of singleness. Stop praying for marriage. He's like, bro... If I've got this gift of singleness, why am I praying for marriage? Why do I want it so bad? But 1 Corinthians 7 speaks to every single single person. Every single single person. Not just those who are lifelong celibates. This is everyone who finds themselves marital status single. This is who it's speaking to. And Paul says, I wish all are as I myself am. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Do not seek a wife. Don't make it your life's ambition. It's okay to desire it. It's okay to pray for it. But don't make that your idol. It'll kill you. I think this is the last point. No, two more points, but they're short. We're not going to have Q&A time tonight. Singleness can help you do even better than married people if you use it wisely. Verses 36 to 38. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, that means he's got this virgin daughter, she wants to get married it seems, and he's restraining her from doing so. If she is past her youth, she's no longer what you would consider a young woman, And if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let let her get married, for crying out loud. Stop keeping Rapunzel up in the tower. 
Now, this verse, scholars say, is one of the most difficult and controversial in the, the New Testament. Your, your, your translation probably said something uh, different there. It's because there's, there's some ambiguity to how to translate some of these words. All the major lexographers, those that chart words, all the majority of the church fathers, the most technical English translations agree that some dads felt that they had wrongly forbidden their now older virgin daughter from marrying. That's the situation. Regardless of the interpretation of what exactly is going on there, the application is absolutely evident and undisputed. So the end result, how we apply it to our lives, is absolutely obvious, uncontested. There is no guilt, no guilt, no guilt, and a desire for anyone to get married Just don't let people pressure you into it. And if you desire it greatly, don't let anyone pressure you out of praying for it and being open to it. Parents can push marriage. Parents can push family as true happiness. Many of them because they want grandchildren. Your peers will play matchmaker with you. Professionals will often reward married people disproportionately than single people. Personally, you may just long for companionship or sexual intimacy or children or security financially. There's a lot of pressure on you guys from all different sources. You can and you must, quote, promote Propriety, what is proper, and undistracted devotion to the Lord in one another. Paul gives us four filters. Four filters in verse 37 to esteem marriage and singleness as gifts of God, not expectations and not things to be pressured. Okay? Freedom in Christ here. Number one. You must, and just read with me, verse 37, you must be one who stands firm in his heart. That means if you're single or if you're married, it must be because you're personally persuaded by scripture to marry or not marry. Make sure that your heart is right before the Lord in this. Number two, you must be under no compulsion. That means uninfluenced by people or circumstances. Don't make a marital decision because you're feeling external pressures. That's not wise. Three, you must have authority over your own will. That is unwilling that your emotions are just dominating you. That you're just being driven by your feelings. Fourthly, and lastly, you have must decided this in your own heart. Convinced, convicted by the Lord. Not pushed by pastors or parents or prospects. Whoever, Paul continues, has met these conditions and decides to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. It's not wrong to remain single. It's not wrong to desire marriage. It is wrong, however, to cave because you're feeling pressure from people or circumstances. So then, verse 38, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well. Be happy, Dad. Give her away. Enjoy the wedding day. You've gained a son. This is good. But he who does not give her in marriage will do better. 
So godly marriages do really well. Singles can do even better. One pastor said, many young men and women that are consumed with finding, many young women and men are consumed with finding a spouse and most of the pressure comes from us, the church. We assume they have a fatal flaw if they are not married. Shame on us. Many failed marriages are the result of us pressuring people. Lastly, there's a few lines here. Singleness prevents bondage and can promote happiness. Verses 39 to 40. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. Marriage is binding for life. Brothers, sisters, do you think singleness is hard? Try a hard marriage. You think singleness is lonely? Just talk to people in hard marriages. Oh, there is loneliness more grave than singleness. Just be careful. Be wise. Hear God's word. Singleness spares you from unwanted bondage. Be careful in who you marry, who you consider marrying. But if, Paul says, her husband has fallen asleep, that is, died, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Read those next words very carefully. Only in the Lord. You're not free to marry an unbeliever. You're not free to marry someone you're unsure about. Do not marry someone you hope is serious about the Lord. If you aren't certain It is sin to pursue them. If you're not certain, it's sin to be open to their pursuit. Verse 40. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is single. If Paul thinks that some have the gift of marriage and some have the gift of singleness, he would command the widowed people to get married immediately. He says, but I think it's better that they remain single. Tertullian, a church father, said that the widow who remarries has decided, quote, to throw away an opportunity to enjoy singleness and devotion to the Lord. Paul says, and I quote and conclude, He says, I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Now, when we read that in English, we hear him saying, I'm not sure, but I think. That's not the way the Greek reads. He says, I consider by law, that's the verb, that I have the Spirit of God. This is not an opinion. This is the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. Singles, pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness, knowing God will provide what he wills. And he only, only works with infinite wisdom and with infinite love and infinite control so that if there were any other condition, 
that were better for you than the one in which you find yourself this moment. Divine love, sovereign love, omniscient love would have put you there. Father, we thank you that we can just be content in the Lord. Thank you, Father, that you give us grace to be strong in Christ despite our circumstances. We can do all things through him who strengthens us. We now lift up our praise to you and we ask, Father, that you breed repentance in our heart, breed trust in our heart according to your word, that we would trust your heart, Lord, over our own. We pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Thank you.